So 3D Life Recovery is a model of life change that offers these biblical principles. Decision plus discipline equals your destination. Basically, as Pastor Brian always says, where do you see yourself in two years? You have to make a decision to get there and you have to have discipline along the way. 3D Life Recovery is based on the three Ds from the life of Daniel. Daniel 1.8. So Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food or with the wine that he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel made up his mind, which that was his decision, that he would not defile himself, which was his destination. Therefore, he sought the permission from the um, commander of the officials, which was his discipline. 3D Life Recovery is for individuals who desire a godly destination. 3D Life Recovery is for people who recognize that they cannot do it on their own. People who recover require the power of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of a small group, the connection, direction, instruction, and correction of a 3D Life Coach. 3D Life Recovery will ask me to make a decision about my destination and allow the discipline of my coach and my small group to get me there. Now Kelly and I would like to share a little bit with you guys. I'm going to start out with Ezekiel 36:26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is through the power of Jesus Christ that I have been saved, changed, and set free from 15 years of addiction. He is, he has not only restored my marriage, but my family as well. And it is through the discipline of 3D Life Recovery, my small groups, staying in touch with my mentor, and being in God's word that keeps me grounded in my recovery. I am now able to work in a field with others who are in active addiction and give them the hope that I have. Uh, I got just a little bit here. It won't take but a minute. It's a little story about uh, <laughs> uh, Sarah and I were both spiritually dead. We were unable to receive the things of the spirit. We were in the mind of the flesh. We were unable to submit to God and please Him. We didn't have the power on our own to change our hearts, our minds, or our affections. We were going in the wrong direction, entirely away from God. Whenever we went through our troubles, there was no way I was ever going to be able to forgive Sarah. Never. Not on my own. Uh... I didn't have it in me. My heart was hard. It was full of hate. And it was eating me up inside. <clears throat> the day Sarah graduated <clears throat> Teen Challenge, <clears throat> I went and listened to her testimony. Halfway through it, I knew she had experienced something that I didn't understand. 
This was not the same person I knew. Her heart had changed. After a few weeks went by, I saw the love she had for God. And God had completely changed her from the inside out. I wanted what she had. That's when God's Spirit began to tug at me. And eventually I did accept God's gift of salvation. The second the Holy Spirit came in me, I was able to let go of all guilt and shame I had. And I forgave Sarah completely of everything. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is in you is at work those who are who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving God's wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in in transgressions it is by the grace you have been saved God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him at the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incapable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves you can't do this without God you can't it is the gift of God from God. Praise God together, amen. Amen. We give thanks to God. You see, 3D Life Recovery is not anything special other than it's grounded in the Word of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's about life change. You see, a lot of people are stuck in those places where Kelly and Sarah told us about. And so with 3D Life Recovery, it's a time when we can focus in on some things. For example, where are you going to be in five years? Who will you be in five years? The person and place you will be is developing right now. You are right now becoming the person that you're going to be. You're either going in a direction that is sane and healthy, or you're going in a direction that is destructive. So tonight, I want to give us a chance to have a destination check. I want you to think about where things are going in your life. 3D Life Recovery is decision plus discipline equals your destination, but you start with the destination first. And so our question to you is, where are you going? And if you need to change your destination away from destructive to healthy, tonight is the night to do that. Changing your destination, this is in your notes tonight, changing your destination requires a decision that changes your direction. Changing your destination requires a decision that changes your direction. You know what I've discovered? You simply can't get this way if you're going that way. 
And a lot of people come around the church and they say, you know what, one of these days I'm going to get right with God. I'm like, today is that day. And it takes a decision on your part. You might say, well, I'm just waiting on God to do it. God's already done it. He's already died for you. He's already decided that he loves you so much that he wants to redeem you. And these folks' story can be yours tonight. And once you make the decision to go in the right direction, then the discipline keeps your direction straight toward your destination. See, a lot of people start, they say, yeah, I'm going to go this way, and they're going to do that for a little while, but then they find out it's not easy, because most of us think rehab or coming off of a sin pattern is easy. We're just going to pray, and God's going to magically take it away from us, and we're just going to make it easy. No, you're going to find out, if you go into rehab and you actually work it right, you're going to find out there's a nurse ratchet that's going to get you up at 3 in the morning. And kick you. It's not easy. But man is it doable through the power of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Change always starts with a desire for a better destination. Always starts that way. Nobody changes until they decide that they need a different destination. So every week... We cluster a decision, a, de a discipline, and a destination together. And I'm privileged tonight to share with you our first destination, which we're doing this month. It's called Destination Reality. Say reality. The principle goes like this. It says, I recognize that my destination is destructive, and I admit that I am powerless to gain control over my destructive life patterns. Now, that's kind of in your face. But I want you to know you're never going to have a different destination until you get real about how messed up you really are. See, Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus came for messed up people. He came for people like us, amen? You see, sometimes people say, well, if I want to be right with God, I want to join a church where they got it all together. That doesn't exist. The people that think they got it all together are getting worse as time goes on. And the people like us who know we're messed up, we're getting better as time goes. But you have to admit it. So hard for our pride to do that, isn't it? So Jesus said it like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit means the, the ones that are spiritually bankrupt. Spiritual beggars. People that couldn't find righteousness with a flashlight. That's us. See, too many people in America think I'm as good as the next guy. You're not as good as Jesus. And until you're good as Jesus, you're not going to be able to deal with the sin patterns in your life. And the sin patterns of your life, look up for a second. The sin patterns in your life are going to kill you. You might say, well, I'm not doing some of those things. Look, all you've got to have is sin in your heart, sin in the pride, and reject Jesus, and you'll find yourself in the same place all the other sinners will go to. We've got to admit it. Something wrong in here. Did you hear what Kelly and Sarah did? They got up here and said, look, we once were messed up. There are some people that would never admit something like that. And those are the people that are never going to get it right. If you'll get honest with God and say, you know what? I am totally jacked up and I need help. You'll find there is someone that can put you back on the right path. Destination reality is based on the hope of the world. And the hope of the world is summed up in the life that is in Jesus Christ. That is the hope for you, 
for me and everybody else, the hope is not anything else in this world. Destination reality causes us to see what is real and results in a changed direction that brings a healthy destination. So let me just ask you this. And this will be the shortest message you've ever heard me preach, but we've got some more stories tonight. But I want to ask you simply this. How do people change? Y'all tell me that. How do people change? You know how many people tell me they're going to change? Every week, people walk into church and say, I'm messed up, I need some help, but if you'll help me out here, I'm going to change. And the majority of people never do. They come back. Well, they don't come back right away. You know why? Because they know they lied to me, and they're not going to come back. They're going to come back in six months when things are bad again, and they do the same cycle over and over. Is that you? You have some kind of sin pattern in your life, something that you can't help, can't change, and you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, but you say, I'm going to get it right, I'm going to get it right, I'm going to try harder, and you don't. How are you going to get, how, how are you going to change? How do people change? Let me give you five stages of change. The first one is called pre-contemplation, and it simply is this. It says, I don't know what is wrong with me. Everybody starts there. See, nobody gets changed until... They get out of that first stage. Some people stay in that stage all their life. I preach the gospel to people, and you know what? The gospel is not exciting to some people because they don't think they need it. You're in stage one. You're, you don't even know where you're at. And it's interesting that the, Paul the Apostle wrote about this. I love it that Kelly read from Ephesians 2. I want to read from Ephesians 4. Put that, put that up there if you don't mind, Michael. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Now, the Gentiles were the ones that did not know Jesus. He says, in the futility of their mind. Say the word futility. Futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. There's your addictions right there. You don't need to go anywhere else. There it is. Let me give you the Greek words of what he just explained. First, the word for Futility means devoid of truth or appropriateness, depravity, emptiness of mind. This is where the pre-contemplation people are. They have no idea that something's wrong. And you know, so many people have no idea that something's wrong, and they're going to one day, they're going to march right into hell, and they're going to say, oh, I thought everything was okay. That's a bad time to find out things are not right. You got all eternity to think about it. Man, if I could just shake some people once in a while, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Think. The problem is they can't think. The next word is darkened. It's the Greek word skoto, and it means to blind the mind and the emotions. They're blind. You might say, that never happened to me. Yes, it did happen to you, and it might still be happening to you. We call that denial. You see, 3D life recovery is for people with hurts, habits, and hangups. And if you're like, that's not me, then your first problem is denial because you don't have any idea. You're in pre-contemplation. You don't even know what's wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time that we get awakened to the fact that something is wrong. The next word I want to give you is callous. The Greek word is apogeo, and I'm not sure I said that right, but it means to cease to feel pain or grief. You know what that means? That you get to a place where you're past feeling. You know why people are addicted? You know why people spend hours and hours and hours doing things they ought not do? Hours and hours and hours on video games? Yeah, I said it. You know why people do that? Because they can't stand the fact that they don't feel anything anymore. Because their mind is darkened. And their emotions are darkened. And they've given up on life. And they think there's nothing good about life. And all they can think is, i got to have something to make me feel alive. 
And when they become callous, they give themselves over to sensuality, which is the Greek word, another Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it means unbridled lust or excess. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living that today. And the only hope for you tonight is that God would show you your need. And it's our prayer, and we've been praying for you all week, that you'd come in here tonight and you'd realize point number two or step number two, the contemplation stage that says, I'm starting to see that something is wrong with me. Because when you start to see it, then things can actually start to happen. People always go through stage two, I'm starting to see that something is wrong, into stage three. That's where what we call planning. I know that something is wrong with me and I'm going to do something about it. Where are you tonight? Are you in stage one? I'm good. Stage two, something's wrong, but I'm not ready to do anything. Stage three, I've been thinking about doing something. Then tonight is good for you to go to stage four. That means I do what is needed. And I'm going to show you how to do that. In fact, Jessica Ho's going to come in just a second and show you how to do that. There is a remedy to your problem. But a lot of people get to stage four and they put their faith in Jesus or they go to recovery ministry, they get right. They go to counseling, they get right. But then a year later, six months later, they go right back into the same mess. Why? Because they skipped stage five. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying tonight. Stage five is called maintenance. And that means you never take your sin for granted. You've got to realize that you, can, you have the ability to go right back where you came from. 3D Life Recovery provides that maintenance, small groups, discipline, life coaching. And without that, you're not going to do it long. Our next step tonight is we're going to show you someone that has experienced this in his life. And I want you right now, would you welcome Joey Mounts? He's going to come up and share with you his story. Come on, bro. Man, you guys are in trouble. It is 20 after 7, and you just gave me a microphone. Um, first of all, God's sovereignty is good, isn't it? <clears throat> Man, he has been so good to me. Y'all just wake up. You know, I, I, when they were singing a minute ago, I, I was standing there, and, you know, we got done singing a song, and I look around, and everybody was like, and I was the only one standing up, and I was like, maybe, should I, should, you know, anyway, anyways. All right, so I'm not going to talk much about my past. Um, I'm a pacer, so, you know, um, I was born and raised here in Metropolis, Illinois. I was, I was huffing gas, you know, about 10. Let me start with saying this. Um, 16 months, saved, sober, drug-free. Yep. <laughs> and in 16 months, it's been a great month. I'm going to give you guys a little background. Um, I was huffing gas about 10, you know, um, smoking pot, 13, 14 years old in my mom's bedroom. She's smoking meth. I was smoking pot. Um, I didn't know no better. I never really was a drinker, but I started selling meth when I was about 19, 20. I had my first child when I was about 20, 19, 20. Straightened my life up a little bit, got a real good job. Then I started smoking meth, and I went downhill real quick. Had my second child, still smoking meth. Tried to get sober one time. I think I got sober because I couldn't afford to do it no more. Um, started eating Lortabs, pain pills, whatever it took, but I was a, a worker. 
I, I would get high and I would work. Man, I was a good worker. I provided. I did everything I needed to do, but I never had any extra money because I was buying drugs. Never had money to do anything. I, I lived almost my entire adult life this way. Um, <clears throat> me and my, my ex-wife, she cheated on me when my kids were kind of young. Um, I tried to fix it, tried to move on past it. I never could let it go. I finally, I, could, I had to leave. I left, lived on my own for a little bit, still getting high, still smoking meth um, like crazy. And then I met Cassie, which I had known Cassie my entire life, but then we kind of linked up and we started dating. Then I got Cassie on meth. Um, and we both started smoking it. And we both went downhill really fast because I stopped smoking and started using a needle. And that was my final straw. That's when I started stealing. I couldn't hold a job. I was the guy that you guys seen riding his bicycle in your alley going through your trash. I was the guy that was doing whatever it took to get my fix. Finally, uh, my mom took my kids because our electricity got shut off. Um, let's see. I lived with my mom for quite a while, and, and I was content with that because she enabled me. My kids were okay. They were fed. They were sleeping. They were fine. Meanwhile, I'm living in a scrum-down trailer, disgusting, no electricity, no water, going to jail. You know, I was thinking about this when you was talking, Pastor. You said, you know, um, your destination. You know, where will you be at in two years? When I was on drugs, I just figured I was going to die the next day. You know what I mean? I, next needle may kill me. It didn't matter where I was going to be at, in, you know, any time. But I lived a lot of my life like that. One day it was, let's see, probably February 25th, 2020. It was almost Emery's birthday. She was February 4th. She comes up to me and I said, Emery, you know, what do you want for your birthday? And she's like, you know, I just want my daddy back. Oh, yeah. It broke me. <clears throat> it broke me. Uh, I really thought about it. I still was getting high. I was laying in a bed at some drug house, and a guy by the name of R.J. Greer, RJ Greer walks in, and he's like, uh, I'm going to rehab today, get my kids back. And I told him straight face. I said, R.J., if you go to rehab, I'll go with you, man, right now. He was like, well, pack your bags. Well, Cassie done threw me out. She was done with me. My bags are packed. I'm like, let's go. So he went in the kitchen, started making pancakes, and I started looking up rehabs, you know, and I called a few of them. And Anna Fellowship House was like, we could get you in today at 4 o'clock. Sign me up. So went around. I told everybody I'm going to rehab today, 4 o'clock. I didn't make it 4 o'clock because I wanted to get high one last time. You know, I, I knew that when I went, I was going to change my life. So I searched for drugs. I finally made it to Anna about 1 o'clock in the morning. And they were like, they looked at me like I was crazy. But I, I told the woman there, I was like, I'm not leaving until you let me in. I told my 9-year-old that when I came home, I would be different. So I'm not leaving. I'll sleep in your parking lot. And the doctor came in, he got me in my room about 3 o'clock in the morning. When I walked through the doors of Anna Fellowship House, this is not a lie. You guys, I was addicted to gambling, women. I was, a, I was beating on Cassie. I was sticking needles in my arms. I was stealing. I was doing things that I've never seen people do. You know, just whatever I had to do to get through my day. And when I walked through the doors of Anna Fellowship House, literally through the doors, all of that stayed out. None of that came in with me. And I went in, you know, and I, I, I did my thing. I went and laid down in bed. At 6 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting in my first small group. No clue what I'm doing. I've never been to a rehab. I've never even experienced a small group. You know, and I walk in there, and these guys are in a circle. And I'm like, what's up? You know, I want to sit down in this circle. What's going on? 
You know, and these are guys that have been there, and they're like, you're in a detox. You don't have to be here. I was like, no, I don't want to be in no room by myself. Like, I, I'm here to find out what is wrong with me and fix it. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to be different, you know. And, and I did. I, I was in there. I sat in there, and I talked. I would discuss what I was feeling. They would talk to me. You know, and I was only there for three days. I filled an entire notebook up by how many notes I was writing down, studying, trying to figure out what, what was going on with me. You know, the first night I was there, I went back to my room, and, I, I, you know, these guys had told me that Jesus Christ was, you know, would save me, man, and I had heard that my entire life. But I went back to my room, and I prayed. It wasn't nothing crazy. I was just like, you know, I believe in you. Please fix me. Something is wrong. I, I just, I need me fixed, you know. I left Anna Fellowship House, <clears throat> you know, three days later. They told me I couldn't stay no more because, you know, that was a longer process. I, I was only allowed to be there for the detox. So I left. I came home. I still, I still stayed at another woman's house for about two days. And I was like, I can't do this no more. I cared too much for Cassie. So I went back to, to my house, or my tin can trailer. Um, and she was there, high as a kite, pilfering through all the trash in our house. And I was like, hey, I'm back, and I'm different. And she didn't believe me at first, I don't think. <clears throat> But it didn't matter because I was different and I planned on being different. And she, she tried to be different with me and she did. She, she right then and there, we, we, it was winter time, it was cold. We lived in this trailer with no heat, no electricity. But we were funny, like we had fun. We would lay in this twin size bed in this one bedroom and would laugh and she was going through her, her state. I never dealt with no sleep issues. I, I was up every morning ready to go. It didn't matter. I, I never, de I don't know, I never withdrawed from it. You know, and she did. She slept like a rock all the time. And I'd get up and I'd go do what I had to do, get her, you know. And we started, I, I caught, about 10 or 11 days, I, I called somebody that was vote, rooting for me, you know, that had been rooting for me throughout my whole addiction. And I called him up and I was like, you know, I can't do this no more. You know, I'm like 11 days, 12 days sober. I was like, I just can't stay here no more. We go to a dope house to cook our food in their microwave and they're sitting there getting high. We don't have no heat. We can't take a shower. You know, I, I can't do this no more. He was like, man, come to my house, take a shower. What he did not know is that we would never leave. We, we went to his house and we took a shower and we slept on his floor and we slept on his floor and we never left. And then one day we went back to that little ran down trailer and we got a few things that we needed out of there and we left the rest and we never went back. We went back, checked the mail a few times. We never looked back. But what I've told all of you guys is to tell you guys what God has saved me from. Now, let me tell you the fruits of my salvation, okay? Since I have been saved, I'm running partnership in my own business. I, am, I have two vehicles that are insured, mind you. Yes, I, I know it may not mean something to everybody, but I don't know if I've ever had both of my vehicles insured. We're tithing to the church with cheer, with joy, happiness. It feels amazing. I have baptized both of my daughters, I have watched my fiance get baptized. I have baptized one of my best friends and watched him come to know the Lord in man church one night. I am blessed. And if you think that God cannot save you, if you are struggling with anything and you think that God can't do it, he saved me. He saved me, and I didn't think there was hope for me. Nobody did. Everybody had lost hope in me. And I stand before you today telling you guys that God is good and he can save you from anything that you are in. I can guarantee it.
I love all of you guys. You guys are my family, my brothers, my sisters. There's not one person in here that I can honestly say that I don't love. I love all of you guys. Thank you. I would like to introduce Miss Jessica Holt. Decision principle, faith. I believe that the power of Jesus Christ can break the power of sin and destruction in my life. I now repent of my sin and trust my life to him as my Lord and Savior. I can testify that Jesus has saved my life in many ways. Most importantly, my eternal life uh, by me repenting of my sin and trusting in, as, and trusting in Jesus as my Savior. He has saved my marriage He's made it thrive. I have a beautiful family. I changed, or he changed my, my thinking. He's changed what I believe that success looks like. Jesus has truly given me the abundant life that he promises. Once I stopped compromising and I made the decision to make Jesus, uh, to give completely my life to Jesus, that's when I began to see his power work. I couldn't believe the lies any longer that I told myself that God knows my situation. He understands why I'm living outside of his will. I couldn't ignore his ways yet expect him to bless me. I had to stop justifying my sin. I would say, well, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Sanctification is the growth of becoming more like Jesus. My sanctification my sanctification has been most impacted by getting connected to the church and learning uh, from other believers. I'm not done growing or learning, but praise God, I'm not where I was. Jesus is speaking in Mark 1.15, and he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. James Littlemeyer will be talking next. Let me get this adjusted real quick. Yeah, it's a lot easier. All right, um, I'm glad to see everybody here. It's awesome that we have a large group. Um, my name is James Littlemeyer. <clears throat> um, each and every one of us is here are here tonight has one is one choice away from one of two things: either a living a life free from the bondage bondage of addiction, or b living a life as a slave to addiction. The choice is yours. I want to ask you which one will you choose? Nearly two years ago, I made a choice to give my life to Christ and lay my troubles at His feet. I had been living a life of destructive behaviors, a slave to my addiction for five years. In order to succeed, I had, a, I had to make uh, a lot, many huge changes to the way I was living. I use the term living loosely because looking back now, I know that I wasn't living but merely existing. I stopped talking to, hanging out with or associating with everyone from that old lifestyle. This included a lot of my family. I also deleted my Facebook and got rid of my phone. 
I knew that if I had stayed in town and ran into the same people I was hanging around with, that I would probably fall into the old way of thinking. So I left Metropolis and moved into a tent at a campground in Dixon Springs. This is where me, my fiance Brittany, and our four children lived for two months. These were the most difficult and most rewarding two months of my recovery. Many times the enemy would try to tell me that if I, that I couldn't do it, that I would fail again. He would try to tell me that I had messed up so bad that it couldn't be fixed. I couldn't be fixed. But I chose to refuse to listen to those lies. Instead, I made a choice each and every day that I would focus on what God said about me. And what God said was, I am loved, I am worthy and valuable, I am made new and full of spirit, I am transforming, I am forgiving, and I am a child of God. When we focus on the truth of what God says, the enemy loses his power to deceive us and pull us back into the darkness. During these two months, I made choices to make sure I was being held accountable. I was attending Christ-based recovery meetings and attending church. <clears throat> Even on the days that I didn't feel like I had the strength to, and I can tell you now that there will be times that the enemy will try to convince you that you deserve a day off or that missing one time won't hurt anything. And these are the times that it is so important to lean into God and not away from him. While living at the campground, I managed to find a job and eventually moved to an apartment in Paducah. Even though I'm approaching two years sober now, I, can, I continue to make choices to ensure that I'm being held accountable for instance, after being promoted at my job, I was going to be required to travel and be away from my family for four to five days a week. It would also require that I had a phone. So I chose to install an app on my phone that sends every search, phone call, text, and app usage to my fiance, fiance's phone. And having this accountability only makes it much easier to stay clean. I have stayed in recovery meetings. I volunteer at my church now, and I attend life groups. Recovery is not easy, but neither is addiction. Recovery is not accidental, but it is a deliberate choice that takes discipline and determination. I can now say that I'm living. I have the joy of the Lord that lives in me. My life has been transformed beyond my own imagination. My family has been restored. So each of us here tonight have a choice, life and, or ch choice A, life or restoration, or death and destruction. Which one will you choose?